Right, why don't we get started? Uh, my name is Caroline. I'm the uh, manager of adult programs here at the Hirshhorn. And today we have Professor Yana Sakelian here from American University. Um, professor Sakelian is assistant professor of graphic design at American University and also works directly in video and interactive media as a designer and artist with an emphasis on interactive storytelling. Um, thanks for joining us. We're going to be talking today about Antonio Rivaldi's opening day, which is downstairs. Um, so let me introduce Professor Sakelian. Uh, well, first of all, thank you gentlemen very much for coming today, especially on a, such an auspicious day, this being December 21st. Um, it appears that the world will go on as we know it. <laughs> However, I will say that I think it's an opportune moment to talk about change and a fresh start and transformation and perhaps some of the destruction of the old and the replacement, all of the ideas that we are going to see in Antonio Rivaldi's work as we migrate downstairs. So uh, in some ways we are setting ourselves up for a nice condition in discussing these ideas and his work. If I uh, might invite all of you to come and experience the work as we talk about it, uh, just to let you know the sound in that room is quite intense or it gets quite intense at times. And how many of you got to see the piece before today? So, so you're familiar. If not, that's okay. We'll be engaged in some active listening, I suppose. Uh, I might have to pause here and there just to accommodate for some of the sound. Again, let me welcome everyone and thank you for coming. Um, as I mentioned just a bit earlier, my talk will have to have some pauses in it just to account for the intense sound that we're experiencing with the piece. However, I felt it was rather important for us to be in this space and to see the work in action in order to point out some of the subtleties and also talk about the space distortion and the distance that Antonio Rivaldi um, addresses so effectively in his work. I will ask you as we are experiencing this piece, to think about and possibly answer the two questions that are um, rather formal about the quality of this work. It doesn't, there is not necessarily the right or wrong answer, but I would ask for you by the end of my talk, I'll pose the question as to which piece you think is the largest throughout the ceramics that we see on the, um, the right of me and why that is. And also, if you're coming in and you're unfamiliar with the piece, and you're coming in the middle of it, how do you know, since our visual information is fairly limited to a moment that we are observing, how can you tell what is happening with the space that we may not be seeing behind us and around us? So again, two questions. What is the biggest piece of ceramics and why? And how do we know what's happening to the space, even though we may just be walking into the piece and knowing absolutely nothing about it? I'll give you time to think. In the meantime, Antonio Rivaldi talks about his own work as questioning the distance. The distance both in concept and the physical space. He talks about this work um, as an underlying theme throughout all of his pieces. He's been trained as a photographer, and very often he uses his photography sensibility in shooting of his videos, in presenting his ideas. 
This piece, however, is hard to separate from its original intent. So I think in talking about what it all means, if anything, which we'll discuss, it's also very uh, poignant to uh, go back to its origins and to see why and how it was created. I don't know how many of you had a chance to experience video pieces in space, which is exactly what's happening here. We are engaged as viewers right in the middle of this very active baseball player. We're right in the middle of the action. In fact, mentally, we exist right somewhere on the middle of this ball line, which could be both very entertaining, and it's really quite wonderful to see the reaction of the audience, especially younger kids or uh, the gentlemen who love the sports as they come in. And this is the beauty of Rivaldi's work. It is accessible on so many levels, one of them being purely enjoyable. And if you think about it, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the pure enjoyment and entertainment when it comes in the form of the video art. This particular piece, however, uh, relieves its multiple iterations in this gallery and was restructured um, in collaboration between the artist himself and Kelly Gordon, who is a curator for the Hirshhorn. Originally, this piece was invited to be created for a show in 2009 in Rome, Italy, in the place called San Michele Ripa, which is a large complex built in the 17th century with beautiful multiple rooms, often hosts art exhibits. So the curator who was organizing exhibition back in 2009 envisioned this theme around this new media work, which is unfamiliar to the most. I mean, after all, when we come to the museum, typically, whether we will willing to talk about it or not, we're mostly used to seeing paintings or sculptures or something that is a little closer to home. The theme of this show, however, was to re-envision the media, what it does to space, what it does to audience. The name of the show was Processing the Mirage. Um, very esoteric name if you think about it, and the mirage is questioned as a subject or a theme of the show. In some cases, when you come into the space, um, you feel like a mirage yourself. You become invisible, you become transcendent between the two projections in this case. So the theme of the show was also based on um, a very popular media theory by Marshall McLuhan. If you don't know who Marshall McLuhan is, he is, he was, I shall say, um, a Canadian philosopher who thought a lot about the communication theory. So he believed that our fascination as humans with all the technology and new developments that we're making, which allow us in part not just to fly into space, but also to create works like this. Our fascination with that technology is an extension of ourselves. We are looking for mirrors everywhere. It is our human nature to try and look for reflections of what we consider our humanity. With the development of technologies, however, even the video becomes encoded with the message that's interpreted by the very nature of the media itself. Other words, there is something about a video piece that gives us a glimpse on the artist's process and thought that a painting or a sculpture might not. We aren't simply talking about the embodiment of a thought 
in this case about the distance and relationship between the action and reaction, we're also questioning what are these small details mean? What are the small details of slightly being out of focus or not seeing the legs of this player, for instance? Or what does it mean for us to be witnessing this single moment in space and never really having an opportunity to freeze it even for a second, having to come back to it and relieve it in time? Antonio Rivaldi didn't know much about baseball when he began working on this piece. Uh, he didn't know much about baseball. In fact, he didn't even know how to begin approaching his actor. So he worked with the curator of the show to contact Fabio Beto, who happens to be a pitcher for a popular Italian team. Care to guess what the team name is? He's wearing the team's uniform. Fortitudo's Bologna, which is based in Bologna, Italy. Now, baseball exists in Italy. It isn't very popular. Um, obviously, this choice of sport in Italy may be soccer. Yes, that's right. Somebody knows it well. <laughs> um, so in many cases, Rivaldi was on the uncharted territories here. He was, however, inspired by his ideas of being distant, not just throughout the projections, but also culturally. At around um, 2006, which is three years prior to completing the piece, he began to split his time between Italy and the United States. So some of the cultural influences that he experienced are also working their way into his ideas. He always described his process as that of a traveler, the one who travels, keeps a journal, observes documents, and takes his studio on the road. So all of these components are becoming important in his work. The space he was presented in Saint Michel also influenced the kind of piece that we're witnessing right now. In fact, it was um, somewhat twice in a half big lengthwise. Uh, one of the decisions for choosing the baseball for the space was that the distance between the pitcher as we see him and the object in the original iteration was about 60 feet, which is very close to what the actual field would be. In the actual field, the distance would be 60 feet and 6 inches, roughly. So the space was perfect for it. It was a really large hole with two walls on either end. The projections were larger than life, really, really huge. And that prompted um, Antonio to think about shooting this piece right on site. So in some way, we don't just talk about this piece as a video art, but also as a site-specific installation. And I think that's a very important distinction to make. Like any site-specific installation, opening day migrates now to Hirshhorn to discover yet another iteration and another new life. Which fitting within the theme of the work, which of course opening day refers to the opening day in the baseball season and stands for the new promise, the evening of the score, the new opportunities. We can talk about the evening of the score in other elements here as well, such as conversation around what is precious art? What is destruction? What is talent? Who is it controlling these elements? Um, in any case, I think 
one aspect of um, video work that you may not be familiar with is that by the very nature it's quite collaborative. The questions of ownership and authority are very transient. In this case, Antonio Rivaldi recruited um, a team he was very familiar with. A cinematographer, a sound engineer who have done an amazing work, as you can tell, and um, a cameraman or a camera operator. Why did he need a cinematography and a camera operator it becomes apparent as you compare the two shots? This is where the video work also becomes mixed with the idea of performing arts. Uh, Rovaldi knew that unlike a typical approach of directing a stage for the video shot, he did not have a script. He did not plan any actions of the player. In fact, he got in touch with Fabio. He invited him. He decided that they're gonna pose some limitations on the setup because just like with NEPs, you need to establish some uh, limitations and routines in order to evaluate how successful your initial intent was. So in this case, uh, they positioned the cameras exactly where they would be projected in actual space. So one camera facing the picture and one camera facing the setup with the still lives and they shot them simultaneously. So in fact, what we're seeing today before us is almost the exact replica of the action that was performed, an exact documentation of the performance art. The footage was not edited. Nothing was replaced except some parts were cut to account for resetting of the still life pieces. Other than that, it's very close to original. Um, because the video work relives in, in the cyclical fashion, its presence in, in the gallery space, you could, you know, just for fun, I recommend that you see the very first documentation of it, which is available on Rivaldi's site, and you will see that there are small differences. For instance, um, there was a small comment cut out of the uh, Fabio's uh, performance as he tries to hit one of the groupings of the objects that's particularly difficult, um, and he misses it 10 times. We'll see them. There are three statuettes. Um, it'll be a while before they come back in. Uh, there are three statuettes of white vases with some of the Chinese hieroglyphs. So um, in the original version, when he misses them all by 10 shots and he needs a few more to get them done, he speaks to the camera. And he makes us aware that he isn't just a performer. He makes us aware he's aware of our presence and in the case of the shooting, aware of the camera's presence. If you take a look at the screen, watch his eyes for a second. It was indeed, and that was one of the technical challenges for the shooting. In fact, it's really quite amazing how close they were able to match it. So one of the things you could do with these cameras, you position them slightly further than you need, and a little bit at an angle, and you zoom in, or rather, uh, uh, you know, instead of physically positioning the camera very close, you simply enable your lens to see a little closer to the point of the impact. And they were working, again, another level of collaboration for this work is the ability to communicate with Fabio and knowing what that distance was and just how far they needed to offset this camera and knowing what his margin of error could possibly be. The one, one curious thing about filming of the Fabio, though, remember, he's not an actor. 
So essentially he's given 10 balls per set, or innings I believe the proper term would be for the baseball. So baseball, anybody familiar with the baseball? Oh well, we're all in Rivaldo's shoes because neither was I in, in any extent, shape or form aside from the fact that it exists and apparently it's a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you, instead of having rounds, you really have innings. And a typical pitcher would hit 10 innings, probably 10 hits per inning. So altogether around 100 times they would throw that ball, which tires them out greatly, which is why they're switching out the uh, players so often. So if you look at the setup for this piece, the structure around what he hits and how he hits follows those rules semi-closely. You do have 10 setups, there are 10 compositions, and he, and Fabio was given 10 balls per each. Now there is only one case, again, case of those very tall white vases with the scriptures on them, in which case he kind of ran out of his 10 balls and he had to pick up three more. But luckily, the rest of his shots were so good, he was able to afford more than that. But let's think about what does Antonio really tell us with portraying Fabio so closely. He's larger than life. He's intrusive. We are so close to him, especially in this small space, we're feeling completely confronted. And yet somehow we don't feel completely threatened. Why could that be? Well, we only have one true moment of clarity with this video, and that is when Fabio gets really, really close to us. There is a moment right before he throws the ball when we see him in full focus. The rest of the time we see him slightly blurred, and it's not because cinematographer couldn't work the camera, it's simply because this is an intentional way of making us distant from his personality at the moment of this performance. This is the multiple layer of distances that Ravaldi is so good at. However, we can still pick up on his body language. We can still see him gazing at us and at his target. And we're still very engaged and we're rooting for him. Let's talk about the ceramic pieces for a second. Um, interesting story of how they came about. In this dichotomy of these precious looking still lifes, which are quite beautiful, we don't know whether we should root for the player who really want to make that ball or whether we should preserve their pristine element because we know once they're broken, there is no coming back. It's quite a distractive action if we just watch the piece with the ceramics. Well, in fact, the ceramics are not horribly precious. They were acquired at the Chinatown market in Rome. And so Rivaldi talks about the process of acquiring these pieces as having not a particular structured plan in mind when he began. He began just coming to the markets and picking up the objects that somehow spoke to him on that creative level. Some of them gave a glimpse on a little narrative story where we could start building a little relationship between these characters that he's setting up. And some were simply beautiful, so he literally picked them much like a photographer would pick his shot based on their colors, how much space they took, and what kind of composition he could be compiling them in. Some of these objects look like they belong together, where in fact, when you start taking them apart and looking at them separately, you realize it is plates upon glasses, upon twisted vases, and so on and so forth. He, uh, the artist also talks about not having a very set plan at the moment of setting up these figures as the process of documentation was taking place. That's quite beautiful. That cup starts looking like a face, don't you think? 
right up there. He plays so wonderfully in our human desire to animate everything. Uh, to put it simply, we just want to see a face wherever we can, even in an electric plug. We just do it. Uh, so one curious factor about his aesthetics is that he often functions as the designer, not just an artist, in setting up the right mood and setting up the right composition within the space. So Rivaldi decided that at, just as Fabio would have limited number of shots, and they would just go through these 10 takes and that would be it, it is what it is, he would have a limited number of opportunities to create the compositions, right there on site. They were put up and then destroyed. So what does it mean for us? Uh, what can we, what ideas can we discern from this violent act? Is it funny? Is it sad? Do we feel sorry for the objects? Do we miss them? Do we feel like we associate them with preciousness? The chiming we're hearing is actually happening in space itself because it is shot in San Michel, we hear the church. It chimes 12 times, making us wonder whether it is a midnight or a daytime. It is. In, in fact, neither. It was recorded right on site along with the video of Fabio himself. So it is indeed 2009, somewhere about in Rome, in San Michel Church itself, indeed. So that's a, that's a really lovely glimpse in really placing us mentally in the space of that original site. And the distances that Rivaldi are talking about just are so multifaceted. We have the space, we imagine that we are in San Michel. Even if we don't know that we are, we can hear the echo. We can hear the chimes. We can hear just a slight buzzing that's different than the space we're currently in. We may not consciously think about these elements, but we pick up on them, we create this environment. Uh, we call it white noise for the filmmaking. There is a much crispier, high-pitched white noise, which is essentially emptiness within the video itself that differs from somewhat warmer, lower, much more expanded sound that we have just in the space itself. Uh, the question was, what is that high-pitched, buzzing white noise that, we, that I was talking about in relationship to the video? <laughs> well, and that's what we get with new media. It's pretty common that we start associating something like a cell phone buzz, for instance, that you mentioned, to something that we see in the video. So why do we feel so engaged with this work? Well, despite of how we might feel about these distances, are we sad? These are mass-produced objects. We know they come from China. Um, now, I didn't want to make this talk a political discussion around mass production. but the kinds of uh, moods and attitudes that exist within the import discussions, especially in Italy and Rome these days around the Chinese import, are also playing within our understanding of distance between the mass-produced objects and the actual high art. Just because something looks like high art, still life, it, it isn't necessarily. It is also the distance we feel from the sports figure to the object he is destroying. Is he upset? Is he mad? Does he feel like this object has no right to exist? Does he recognize it as a mass-produced, crafty um, little element or that piece of art? How do we feel in relationship to this very gifted baseball player? Do we feel the distance from his talent? Do we question his talent? Or what does it take? 
to be talented in the arts? What does it mean to make this truly unique art piece? Why do we always find it so fascinating when somebody gets it right? So Rivaldi really masters the sense of distance. The one element that we all feel comfortable with, however, is describing cinema in general, which is what the aesthetic of this piece comes from. In fact, as we all know, the television came before the video art even became a video art we know today. And even today, it still exists somewhat marginally within the context of the larger museums and the galleries, not the last of which is the concern for preservation of this work. Why do we feel so comfortable talking about films? We come home and you know, nobody feels threatened or incompetent to discuss a film that they liked, the plot that they enjoyed. They can talk about films for hours. And something about the language of the presentation, the darkened room, the comfy chair, being so close to somebody else, looking at a moving picture, puts a familiarity within that language. It gives us the power to talk about it in the familiar terms. There are also elements that we must consider within the context of the work. How much time does it take? Well, we know this piece is 12 minutes and 40 seconds. However, it is looped. So technically, there is no beginning or the end to this piece. There is only a beginning to the end to each new throw. Well, and then we have the credits, which really must be there. <laughs> Um, but in reality, it becomes a self-sustained piece we can keep coming back to over and over again. This multiple lifetime that I have mentioned earlier is also very important. One of the elements that changes within this space specifically is also the very fine cropping of the elements on screen. So for instance, we see less of the empty space surrounding the figures, and therefore each figure feels roughly of the same size to us. When we talk about the distance in the artwork and even the film, we typically associate with how far we are from our object by how close it is, but by what it overlaps, uh, by the perspective that we can see and compare it to. And in this case, we have an oversized human figure and a bunch of objects that we enjoy, but we have absolutely no real point of reference to where they are in space. If you watch carefully, you also notice that in this iteration, the ball actually takes, it feels like it takes slightly longer than it should to hit its targets by a, by a millisecond or two, which is almost imperceptible. But that is again because it was originally conceived in a slightly longer space and the original soundtrack is still that of the space in unedited. So it just frames the piece in a new element. In my opinion, there is a lot of dialogue that's happening here around what video art is and where does it fit in, in addition to the discussion about the high art. Is it breaking the grounds? Is it becoming more common? When I first got introduced to Rivaldi, I actually didn't get introduced directly to his work. Um, I was right uh, after my graduate school in which we discussed, and, and any of you students right now? So you're probably familiar with the discussions that take place around your practice, around how your studio um, practices and habits affecting the final piece. In Rovaldi's case, you come to his studio and really there is no such thing. 
Um, there is a computer every so often. He takes his camera on the road. He bikes a lot. He chases the images of horizon and distances than he wants to be talking about, and yet somehow he produces these very compelling, seductive, poetic images. Um, so my first introduction to his process was through him utilizing new media as his studio space. In 2010, he began a blog, um, which essentially is an electronic journal for keeping up with his work, and started posting essentially what we're so familiar with seeing little comments, little poems, and a lot of his photographs. So for me, it was a really different way to think about this new age allowing you not just to document your work in a different way, but also to share it in context of something other than you know, a Tumblr or a familiar phenomenon that's being discarded so quickly because it's just not considered to be a part of that high culture. And so for me, it's also extremely compelling to see how artists like this are reshaping not just the gallery space, sometimes quite literally, the engagement that you perceive with the work in which you become literally immersed in is quite different from that that you observe from the side. But also you allow yourself to become a part of their practice, such as go on their blog and make a comment. You know, participate into shaping of what those ideas are and what those pictures look like and what that selection process is. So I'm a very, thank you very much for your um, patience and attention. I am very proud to be a part of this exciting happening and I think um, again, for me as an artist myself and somebody who works with new media, there's always a concern of what's next for these pieces. Um, the video art is starting to become a little more accustomed and I do think that Hirshhorn is quite unique in, in the kind of pieces that it allows us to see and the kind of context that it allows us to see it with. So I would love to see some interactive pieces making their way to the galleries in the near future as they become available. Uh, I will take questions in a minute, but first I would like to go back to my original question and perhaps ask you what piece of ceramic, which may not be presently on screen now, do you think was the largest and why? The Great Dane? And why? Uh, it was just so easy to break and it just fell over the table so simply. It's lovely. So do you guys remember the Great Dane, a really tall figurine? That was indeed the largest piece. It was the easiest one to hit, and he kind of hit it, uh, just the line of the hit was closer to the top rather than the bottom. But also you could see just the remnants of the table corners on the bottom, which for all of the other figurines you cannot. So the cropping of the shot itself is very telling. Also the second question was, if you come to this piece in the middle of it, now, for instance, what would be the telling sign of the process that was taking place in the screen with ceramics before you even got there? Again, no right or wrong answers. See those table corners? We finally got to Great Dane. And also the, light, the way the light hits him really lights up his side in an unfamiliar way, which we don't see with the rest of the pieces. We just don't see that bright of a highlight on them. But let us think, for instance, let us consider we're in the new media world. There is a visual cue. We perceive the space through moving through it. In fact, perhaps because you're sitting, um, I will highly encourage all of you, once we're done talking, to get up and try to see what it sounds like and what it feels like from the different vintage points in the space. 
But I'm going to ask again, so what do you think might be a cue for what's happening in the space even though we don't see it and we're coming in the middle of the piece? The broken piece is on table. Broken pieces on table also when the ball bounces off the table and hits the wall behind, even if it doesn't get anything on the table, we hear the pieces breaking. In fact, we hear the pieces breaking in a such a way that expands the space we're currently in. In fact, our space right now is far too small for the sound to exist within the confinement of this geometry. But because it wasn't recorded in the original, we mentally project those boundaries. In the dark room, this is a very classic cinematic principle that expands the walls further, placing us mentally in that far larger space. And of course, even though we're in the loop, it is much more noticeable if you get to the point where enough broken pieces are accumulated on the floor and you can hear much better. But even the, even the bouncing, even to see how the ball bounced off the wall expands our understanding. Well, thank you very much for your attention and being so patient. I will take questions, anything about the making, or perhaps we can discuss uh, your interpretation of Rovaldi's message. And he was very honest about it. He said, you know, part of me being an artist and making these pieces is to empower you, the viewer, to mentally impose not just the space and the distance, beautiful, but also the meaning behind my intentions and behind this distraction. We need to get Ai Weiwei in on this with the breaking of the main vase. No? Yes, yes. Uh, so the comment was the Ai Weiwei breaking of the vases was compared to this piece quite a few times. Yes, absolutely. That's, you, you've picked up on that, and it's a very interesting conversation around what happens with the comparison. And I would argue that the, um, that the conceptual backing for these two pieces were slightly different in their approach, if not drastically. <laughs> and not just because of the way that they are created and the format that they exist in, but also because of um, what ideals they speak to. Any idea how the artist came up with this idea? You know, this is incongruous. Yes, indeed. So, you know, there is a wonder about how the artist comes up with this idea. I mean, what causes it? So in case of this piece, it's always a combination, right? So uh, Rivaldi knew he was working with distances, and he was curious about what these distances meant in all iteration. And he already made a number of photographic and video pieces that explored geographical distances and narrative distances in a much more traditional way. And once he got in the space, the very measurement of the space itself, because it landed itself just simply in those 60 feet, was an extra push to let his mind go into, well, what might be appropriate? And once he created, once the mental link was made be, between these two formats that, had, that share a property, if you will, in common, the experimentation came in. He also talks about this piece as being one in a trilogy that he's still working on. So, um, you know, I guess three years later, we're looking forward to further iterations of the distance. Now, did you say that he's actually, in the, obviously he's inside a building? Right. That's correct. And, and did you say the artist was from Bologna or this man is from Bologna? Uh, the player, the Fabio Bettas from Bologna, which is where the baseball team exists. So he made a trip to Rome to be in the space of San Michel to record this installation on site. But was he 
actually throwing the ball toward that, or is, is it two different moments? No, it's exactly the same moment. He, uh, Fabio is throwing the ball, and we're seeing the figures breaking in real time. So it was really the same room, I thought maybe. Exactly. No, it's the same room. Two cameras are set up. That's why in the credits you have camera, uh, a cameraman and a cinematographer, because two men are actually operating two cameras at the same exact time, one of them coordinating the whole operation for the subtleties. And so where would the, where would the photographers be? Like where would the photographer be for him? Over here and then that would be over there? So the question is where would the cameras be positioned in relationship to the objects? I do not know the exact distance at which those cameras were set up. I would, um, just because of the debris that's flying through the broken objects and also because of the risk of slamming something really hard, I would imagine they're probably at least 10 feet away from their source and slightly to the side. Mm. It's probably just like slightly below it, and that's probably how they have it angled so that it looks like it's bigger than the table. That's an excellent observation. I'm going to repeat it just because we're trying to record this, but the observation was that the camera also appears to be slightly below in the way that we're looking at the ceramics because at some point the ball bounces off the piece and almost hits the camera and we see it flying at an angle towards us with, on a downward curve. That's a great, and those subtleties are quite telling and very easy to miss at first pass. In fact, um, you know, I would compare the multimedia piece experience as probably closer to that of music in some ways, because first, the time-based nature that you have in common, and secondly, just like with music, you can kind of tune out and just be there in the presence of this thing and experience it completely visually without being engaged, but also you can experience it in what we call an analytical way. So in music, there is a term that's called analytical thinking and analytical listening to the music. And the same is true for new media, in my opinion, because um, when you start watching for those little subtleties, when you start picking up on those small elements, at different parts of your brain on, on a physical level are actually engaged much like they would be with active listening um, and provide you not just with a more in-depth point of view, but literally engage your whole brain um, circuitry quite differently. So do you think that if the camera is down looking up over there, do you think the, the camera person for here is downward or, or standing, or where would you say the camera is? On this up? angle, I think it's more towards the side, because when you look at this screen, and don't look at the screen, you'll see a white black in the baseball. And then that kind of gives you an idea that it's kind of to the mm. side for each of the cameras. So like it's kind of like this sort of angle when you're looking at both of the tables or the person on the table because it just shows you there what the baseball's doing and the motion of the baseball. So I'm going to repeat again just because we're trying to record. And now the question was. Well, how do we, um, what, what do we suppose, where do we suppose the camera is in relationship to our player, to the subject? And the answer was a bit to the side, and we know that because when the ball hits the objects, we can see it coming from the side, and the line of the curve is that of a side hit. So that's how we know the original was skewed a little bit. For him, the... Um, well, if you look at where he, uh, Fabio is looking right now, he's looking at the cameraman, right? So cameraman is where I would be roughly, 
right there. And now he's looking at his target, which is kind of in front of him and slightly to the left. So by watching his eyesight, you can also tell where these elements are. That's fantastic. I mean, and, and, and that's why these pieces are so engaging on so many levels, because I find that it's just extremely exciting to have this moment of discovery, this aha moment when you begin to see beyond just, you know, figures breaking or somebody throwing a ball, and you start understanding these subtleties. And it could also be argued that sometimes technical restrictions such as don't put camera in front of the ball, it will hit it and break it, uh, contribute to the overall mood of the piece. And instead of being limitations, limitations they're actually becoming just driving vehicles. Um, like any tool would, like a mixing of the paint would, like the texture of the clay would be. So instead of thinking of them as production tool, I think it's really healthy to consider them being creative tools and propagating the practice as well as just making a final product. Can you elaborate on the distinction between art and craft? Since like you said here, these are crafts, but this is high art mm. in the multimedia. Um, I actually purposefully tried to stay away from the word craft uh, because this, I, I kind of didn't want to go into that discussion to be honest with you, but I will say that these pieces, I wouldn't um, necessarily put them under craft category because they are mass produced, which means none, none of the craftsmen hand roughly touched them. And if they did, it would have been in a such a way where we're really talking about labor laws in relationship to how they were produced and less so in terms of the art production. Uh, if you think about the media theory, you really look at them as this remediation of existing images that we understand to be within the larger cultural landscape, being so far removed from where their origins are. And then they're removed even further because they're bought, they're rearranged, and they're presented in the landscape of this piece, which layers yet another level of meaning. Um, my personal stand, though, on craft versus art is that they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. There is craftsmanship to every art form. So in this case, when we talk about craftsmanship in relationship to this piece, we're talking about how the ideas were reiterated, were they successful? So in, in terms of Antonio Rivaldi, he had an intent. Is it reaching us? Is it doing something for us? Is he talking to us? Is he really commenting on this distance? And of course, for me, the answer is yes, yes, yes. Um, and when we're talking about craftsmanship, we're really talking about is the video in focus? Is it, is, are the colors balanced correctly? Do we understand what's going on? Those very short focal points that we get with both sides. So for instance, with the player, we, get, we only see him in focus when he's almost ready to jump off the screen. It's just that moment of the throw. In fact, they did a pretty good job. Take a look. See, it's right where he throws it and reaches for it that we truly see him and no other time. Whereas of here on the, um, Chachkis, as he calls them sometimes, the artist himself calls these things chachkis, we actually see them in focus only when they're whole, and once they start being broken, they become very uh, fuzzy and they become blurred because the meaning behind it is telling of the intent. So all of these elements work themselves into the craftsmanship beyond the obvious. Um, the space, because this is a site-specific installation, and in this case, it had to be recontextualized because now it's appropriate to our space here, and, and it's really refreshing to think of this work of art as 
never truly being done. It really rebuilds itself with any next space it's in. But the craft is also in how clean that sound is, in where do we perceive it to be in relationship to this space, whether or not it's success, this work is successful in extending the space to where Rivaldi wants us to think it is. And those are all areas of craft. So in some way, I would argue that in this particular instance, sound engineer and the cinematographer and the camera operator are the craftsmen in this work of art. But really, it's, it's a very, uh, I shall tell you, it's really a statement that's probably not a very accurate one because I'm sure there was a collaboration more so than simple craft execution. There is always a discussion that takes place in the production time. There are always suggestions being made and the piece is influenced by that, much like a collaboration with the curator of this very museum we're sitting in has altered the room that we're in. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a big question. It's a good question. Uh, but you know, I, I always find it so refreshing, the fact that as media artists, we just have to get so familiar and comfortable with uncertainty. You know, and knowing that your piece will keep relieving in whatever iteration is appropriate. Because you can never really picture Picasso going to the gallery, taking up his painting and going, oh, well, this stroke can be different, you know. Or, you know, Rodin starting to alter his sculptures after the fact. Uh, but with media pieces, you see it all the time. They really are never truly done or set in stone. They change and they morph to their containers if they're site-specific, if they engage the space, and this one does. You suggested the cropping changes. Does that mean that the camera on the art is changing in uh, distance, or is it well, uh, because of the quality of the image that I'm seeing, there are two things happening really. There are two levels of cropping that we're witnessing. One is that of the objects themselves. Uh, and in that case, because their scale is, can be fairly, um, can vary quite a bit, I still am convinced it's really not the matter of moving the camera, it's the matter of zooming to the proper point. Um, that would be my guess, although I am not entirely sure. And I also think because it, it appears that the Fabio keeps having the same amount of energy and engagement, and I think that resetting of the camera would break that process and really influence how we perceive him to be in the space. So I believe it was the matter of just um, changing the zoom. But also, it's, it's a very slight change from the original and other iterations that this piece has, but the way the screen itself, the physical screen that we're looking at, frames the video is slightly tighter than in some other iterations. And that too, ever so slightly, changes our perception. For instance, in, um, in some of the earlier installations, there's just more what we call headroom, as in just dark space around these objects. And they just seem less imposing. And somehow their destruction doesn't seem as monumental necessary. It's still very impactful. But even those small changes can occur and change your perception. And that, of course, is the famous three object scene that challenged Fabio beyond his anticipation. I'm gonna, I guess, turn the mic in. Thank you again. I would, uh, if you have any other questions, I'm very available and open for discussion. I would highly encourage you to try out and experience this piece from different vantage points and find your own sweet spot and understand where you are in relationship, not just to this very formal way of presenting, but also in your ideology, you know, video art versus high art and um, craftsmanship. <laughs>